Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week we're featuring a Q&A from the 50th New Directors New Films with Jessica Bashir on her hypnotic documentary feature, Faya Dai. In Faya Dai, Bashir returns to her hometown of Harar and explores the coexistence of everyday life and its mythical undercurrents in the city, its rural Oromo community of farmers, and the harvesting of the country's most sought-after export, the euphoria-inducing cot plant. Faya Dai is neither a straightforward work of nostalgia nor an issue-oriented doc about a particular drug culture. Rather, she has constructed something dreamlike, a film that uses light, texture, and sound to illuminate the spiritual lives of people whose experiences often become fodder for ripped-from-the-headlines tales of migration. Faya Dai is now playing daily in our theaters. For tickets and showtimes, go to filmlink.org slash Faya. Hello, I'm Josh Siegel, curator at MoMA, and I'm on the selection committee of this year's 50th edition of New Directors, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to the Q&A with Jessica Bashir, the writer, director, cinematographer, uh, and producer of Faya Day. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I like to start with the very first image of a film. I always like to take the plunge by talking about how you begin things. Um, and in this case, it's an image of a boy running or dancing in muddy water in the mist. Uh, as it happens, it's a boy who to me is not unlike Fred Nelson, uh, the tap dancer. Is that his name, Fred Nelson, the tap dancer, uh, who is the subject of your short film, The Man or He Who Dances on Wood. Um, but in, it's, a, it's a running, it's a recurring image throughout the film. Bodies seem to move with a kind of weightlessness. They, they inhabit space almost as if they defy gravity. Uh, and voices are often disembodied throughout the film. For example, the spurned girl who expresses her loneliness or, and longing in voiceover. So I wondered if you could just say something about that first image and how, how it really just kind of sets the stage and the tone for the whole film. Mm. Yeah, thank you. So to me, um, that first image truly expressed um, a lot what I felt the youth um, was going through at this moment in Ethiopia. It really, um, not just in terms of uh, being young and being a teenager and, and all the uncertainties that come with that, but also within the political uh, and social um, spectrum of the country and what was what was happening right now, I felt that you know him coming out of that um, of that uh, sort of fog. It literally, to me, it really captured you know that uncertainty that the youth is walking with um, in life. Um, that to me, that's why I, I, I chose it as, a, as an entry to the film. I wanna get back to the image in a second because it's, uh, it's related to, uh, to the parable, it seems to me that you tell throughout the film, but let's get back to that in a moment. Um, I, let's talk a little bit about the practice or the tradition of chewing cod, which is obviously a tradition that dates back thousands of years in Ethiopia. And, by now has gone beyond its mystical uses uh, in among Sufi Muslims. Um, can you say a little bit more about this? I'm, I'm specifically interested in the meaning of Nirkana. Um, and so I wanted to help the audience also understand a little bit better the context for the film. Yeah, so Mirkana is the 
the, the state of high that you achieve, you know, when you chew um, chat. Um, and it's, so, it's almost like a state of grace in a way. Merkana um, means a lot of things, you know, that, that, that uh, word also has, you know, various uses, you know, so you can say, oh, that girl is Merkana, or maybe because you're doing something out of the norm, or maybe because you're just very relaxed, or maybe because, you know, it has many uses, but literally uh, to achieve Merkana is to achieve that state of, of calm, that state of grace, that state of where you feel like everything is okay. And it's interesting, it's sort of common to many religions that sort of transcendent state, right? We think of nirvana in Buddhism, um, achieving a kind of level of consciousness that is almost disembodied, as I said before, or otherworldly. Yes, you know, it is. And also, you know, it was very important for me to um, bring the genesis of this plant because, um, you know, it, it would be out. I, I couldn't imagine, you know, a film about, you know, chat that doesn't address, you know, it's all, you know, it's Genesis and the way it, it, it came and the, the mythical story that it has is, um, is beautiful, just as a, the, the, the birth of any, any medicinal plant in a sense, or maybe you have a coca leaf that now has you know, turn into something else. But so this one also, that is the story of a Genesis. And, and, and more than just telling it, I also wanted to show it, you know, and the way in which you experience it, the way in which you live um, sort of that um, transcendence in a way, because it, first of all, it gives you a certain state of alertness. Um, you're alert, but at the same time, you're incredibly calm. And at the same time, it allowed them to, to pray and do all-nighters, you know, as, you know, uh, in their Sufi chanting. So um, that is what I wanted to transmit because that is what you, um, you know, sort of experience when you're there. Well, I also have to pull all-nighters, I suppose, as workers. And I suppose that's another reason why they're, if not obliged to take it, to it, then at least pressured to. Well, it's it's almost like a perk of the job, you know. It's the perk. I mean, chat is expensive, you know. Mm. And uh, and first of all, chat. There, there's so much irony to that plant because you know um, the way people see it is uh, it's something that it's taking you away from being productive in your life. You know, you're you're wasting your time. You know, mm. but at the same time, when you look at what's happening in front of you, most of the people that actually are um, uh, employed happen to be people that are employed in the in the chat trade. You know, so there is a big irony in 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 the way that this plant manifests itself in the social fabric. Um, um, it is a never-ending 24-hour um, job. Uh, mm. From the moment it harvests, it's something that I try to to convey in a way through you know following you know this this plant from the harvest to all the stages that it that it goes into until it goes to the market, and that repeats itself every single day, 24-hour day. So there is a circularity to it, and also there was a circularity as well in terms of you know the the editing of the film. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. 
Well, I want to talk about the editing uh, in a moment as well, because the structure is so essential to this film, the way you've structured this film and even how you went about it because of it is because of its kind of dreamlike quality. Um, but just one couple last questions about God as a, as a, uh, uh, as a medicinal property or as a, um, as a drug. I mean, we, we in the West often have these kind of cliched Hollywood associations with it, right? We have this idea of chewing kai, like the cocoa leaf, as you mentioned in, in Colombia or the betel leaf in Asia that, you know, it either produces a hopped up genocidal murderer in mm -hmm. a civil war or a benumbed zombie. Mm -hmm. But it seems to be much more than that. Um, and you were alluding to that just now, that there, that it obviously doesn't necessarily occupy those two extremes uh, and are, it doesn't necessarily lead to absolute violence or absolute dissociation. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering, let's talk about the atmosphere of the film, the tone of the film and your, your attempt to evoke that experience. First of all, I wanted to know, have you tried it yourself? <laughs> well, I have to know what I'm talking about, right? Fair. <laughs> um, you know, of course, I've tried it, and um, and I have. Um, I, I need to understand that experience as well. Um, what is the experience? I mean, those of us who've never tried it. Yeah. Well, so 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 the thing is, it, it's um, um, it's almost like uh, peyote in a sense. You know, mm -hmm. um, it, it's not like any other, you know, drug per se, where, you know, you're wobbling if you're drinking too much or this or that, or if you smoke pot or no, mm -hmm. it, you know, this is increases your sense of alertness and awareness to the 13th power. And yet at the same time, it calms you. Mm -hmm. So with that, it's like lucid dreaming. Mm -hmm. You're very here. You're here hundred percent and every single thing that is around you, you are present yeah. for it, you know? And so, yeah, that is the experience, um, you know, in a way, but at the same time, there is an incredible amount of um, nervous tranquility that it brings, you know? And so um, th there are stages, you know, for example, when people first chew it, you know, they have like this uh, harara or uh, they call it harara time, you know, which is um, the time when you are craving it, you know, the craving and the market and it's crazy and this and that. And then, you know, that's afternoon. At one, you can't see anyone on the streets because everyone is inside, you know, yeah. chewing, you know, and that's the way that that's the way it works. So, um, so at the beginning, you know, you, you, uh, there is some sort of euphoria, you know, you speak a lot, people talk about politics, religion, or whatever happened during the day. It's a social thing. It's not something that you do in your closet, mm. a social experience. That's how people experience each other. And then later on, like around four, when the, the thing starts to hit you, people start winding down and it's an introspection that happens. So you go inside your, yourself. And when you go inside yourself, you are really talking to, to everything, uh, to all your emotions. You know, you're talking to yourself, uh, you are planning, Oh, wow. You know, I would love to, most people, um, would love to change their lives, would love to, um, I'm going to build a building or, or any desire or anything that you have in your mind that you haven't been able to achieve um, through a lot of unemployment in, in, in this case, that's where the fantasy gets to be lived, 
you know, and, and, and you, you live that until the end. And then, you know, you go home, you walk home and the next day, um, the youth, for example, when they wake up in the morning, they're so, they're young, you know, they're, they're so, um, they're so full of potential. They're looking, you know, what to do, what can I do today to, to make some money or what? And by the time noon comes, nothing, nothing has come up. So the disappointment and in, in which they live this, it's heartbreaking to me because it's almost like seeing every day how your potential gets completely wasted, mm. you know? And it's almost like, at least they have each other. This is what they say. At least we have each other. We're going to sit down. We're going to chew, you know? So, you know, to me, you know, this, this, um, uh, the, the plant itself has so many meanings. Sometimes is a consolation to your soul. Sometimes it's a socialization. Sometimes it's just you want to disconnect. Sometimes is work. There is it's vast um, the 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 experience, and which is impossible to do in a film. So I basically wanted to follow uh, what I was responding to. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not impossible because you pulled it off. I mean, the one thing I was going to say, though, is that I have a feeling after this Q&A, everyone's going to be rushing to figure out how they can get some of this. Hi, I'm Clinton Crute. And I'm Devika Girish. We're the editors of Film Comment. The Film Comment Letter is a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com to get the letter every week. Support independent film journalism. Support Film Comment. The paradox, though, of course, is that, you know, the Western neurosis, of course, is that you know, are striving to have those kinds of experiences you're describing, right? That kind of sense of, of that the tangibility of life, the tangibility of the immediacy, the presentness that you're describing is something that we spend a fortune on through, you know, at health clubs, et cetera, et cetera, and various forms of therapy. And, right, and it just seems to me like it's something that is the ideal for, for many people here, uh, and so when you describe it as something that is a sense of loss and heartbreaking, it absolutely, I'm sure, is for these children. But paradoxically, they are experiencing something we can only dream of experiencing. I, you know, I, 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 I really think so. You know, um, it, it's almost like it's a way how, you know, any cultural expression is, is um, it, it only shows the creativity, human creativity to survive in the world, you know, either to you're celebrating, you're mourning, you're the, however it is that you do that expression, it, it, you know, speaks about, you know, our creative ways of survival. In this case, I feel very much that, you know, most of these, especially the youth, you know, like the older ones, okay, you know, it's been a cult, part of a culture for a long time, you know, but the youth is sort of using it as, you know, we have nothing else to do. There is no jobs. There is nothing. So, you know, it's almost a way of numbing yourself from the desperation. Mm -hmm. So that's when it turns into, into something else. And yet um, that is what 
what what is happening you know i i spoke to some people earlier when i when i started to shoot this film and everyone um wanted to know okay where are the drug lords for example in this film or you know where is the haste and and, and it was never about that you know it, it truly was never about that it truly was about um about life and and how you know it it affects um every single social fabric starting from the farmer himself you know and and the economics the economic reality i was never interested in statistics i feel like the images are enough to show you how big of an industry you know this is it is a legal industry you know the the parab parable i was alluding to is a continuum in the film and in a way it's what kind of holds it together um and the way in which you reveal uh the story only in pieces and gradually like you know a child listening to a story or a fairy tale or a fable um and it's a parable of Maul hayat the the water of eternal life and the fate of these three uh um sufi imam um and the question i have is you know I'm gonna I'm gonna forget people's names, the characters' names, but Kadir arrives first, he drinks the water, uh, and he becomes daylight, as you mentioned. And then Elias or Elias comes next, he arrives next, and he only finds muddy water. Uh, and he drinks it and becomes darkness. And then the third, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Azur Karleni. Azur Karleni arrives last only to find dust uh, and ash, and he prays. And Alan responds creates God and says, whoever eats God will always remember you. Is that a blessing or a curse? It is a blessing in that, in that sense, you know, because the reason why he even goes to looking for Mol Hayat is because fear enters him at his old age and he's not understanding why he has this fear. He prays to his creator and he's being uh, told in a dream that he needs to go find Mol Hayat as a cure for his fear because Mol Hayat is the water of eternal life. And so by the time he takes his journey, um, um, the reason why he finds nothing is because he was only thinking of himself while the others were thinking for everyone in, in the world. Mm. And, but he was so blinded by fear that, you know, fear can blind you and, and, and that can set you to, into, into becoming very individualistic and very selfish. And that's what was happening with him. So by the time he arrived and there was no water, he understood that it was, it was almost like a punishment. And he also understood then why fear had entered him and mm -hmm. fear had entered him because he realized that since he never had a wife or kids or anyone, he was afraid to be forgotten. And so he prayed, who's gonna remember me? You know, that's why I was afraid. I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself. And his creator responds, all right, you know, don't cry anymore. <laughs> it's okay, I'll get to get you the chat and whoever chooses this is going to remember you, <laughs> you know? So that's what happens because today, you know, if you're walking in, a, in the wall city or anywhere, when, when you're about to chew, it's a ceremony, you know? So when they uh, they do the prayer, the dua, you know, to start the bercha, which is the, the chat ceremony, um, they invoke those names, Elias, uh, Khadir, and Azur Karneni. And it's, 
that repetition of 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 names is what prompted me to ask i mean who are these people that we're invoking or who are these people that are being invoked in this prayer and that's how i learned from the sufi moms you know they told me how i can't believe you don't know the father of chat it's azur karneni and so then they told me the story yeah amazing because i want to go back to the first image because the boy we see in the first image maybe I'm reading into things, but the boy we see at the beginning is running through muddy water as if he's arrived at the muddy water. So is he an Elias character? Uh, at the end, you see him disappear into darkness. Everything for me, one of the, one of the things that um, I had as an intention in a way as I was shooting and as I was editing is that everything is connected. Everything is connected. So for me, you know, Mommy, this kid, Muhammad, represented so many things, you know, mm. from the myth. Um, he also at some point appeared to me as Kadir. At mm. some point he appeared to me as Elias, you know, who disappears into the night. And as Kadir, because he he is in that, you know, water, he's always dreaming about that water. But and I wanted to bring that um, that myth into the present, what does that signify for today? And today we have this lake, this beautiful lake that we grow up um, uh, in that, that is drying, you know, there's, there's this whole lake drying. And so, and also the youth dreaming of, of um, a possibility of another life, they're thinking about, unfortunately, they're thinking about crossing the, the seas, you know, Mediterranean or the Red Sea, whichever one, you know. And, and so water um, acquired a new meaning in the present. In the present and obviously every creation myth, water is the essence of every creation myth, I think it's fair to say. Yes. Um, you know, every origin myth. Um, and the theme of darkness and light is at the heart of every creation myth. Um, and that is a running uh, motif of the film, it seems to me. I mean, I want to ask you a couple aesthetic questions. The decision to film in unbelievably beautiful chiaroscuro black and white, except for that one moment of the flames. Um, tell us about that decision. About the flames or the black and white? You pick but, one. I mean, I mean, <laughs> or both. Okay, so um, I always saw the, the the film in black and white, even starting from Hayrat, because that short film that I made was supposed to be part of this film. So um, the black and white, you see in this myth, they talk about, um, like you said, they talk about becoming um, light and living forever. Kadir, Ilyas, dark, darkness of, not, of night. Um, all of this dichotomies in a way between fear and love, you know, which is fear and love, you know, what is, what is it we're loving afraid of? And all of those things were for me sort of like the, the, the driving um, principles in a way um, as I was shooting and, and also as I was editing. Hmm. And the editing process, I mean, the structure of the film came through the editing process or you had decided to use the parable of the myth as a kind of framing technique to kind of give it a structure to begin with or talk mm -hmm. about the work you did with the editors, both the, 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 the film editor, but also the sound editor or editors. Yeah, so um, the, the, the parable came later 
much later, like around 2018, 2019, you know, and, and that I, I always had it in my mind and I knew I wanted to, that to be part of this. I just had to find how I wanted to ground it, how I wanted to, th that myth to manifest and, and in which form is that going to be. And um, once we started the editing process, um, you know, we tried, um, you know, different things and see what, how, you know, what it works and, and sound was so important, you know, sound was so important. It's almost like it felt like driving a stick shift, you know, and so, you know, you're going to, you know, a certain um, way and then it sounds right or not and then you have to change and like that, you know, it really felt like that, you know, this editing process. So, um this I, I work very closely both with my sound editors and and my sound editor and with my um, editors in order to you know to to arrive you know to to this um, to this sort of form you know to this language you know in a way um, that that was guided by you know instinct. Um, it had to be very instinctual, not necessarily considering any um, either genres or, 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 or anything. It had to be guided by this. Um, it was a very intuitive uh, process. And I encouraged also my editors to, to follow you know, that intuition. We had many, many conversations, as you can imagine, about this. And so the, my, my whole thing was really tapping into that instinct. You mentioned language, obviously film language, but there's more than one language spoken in the film. Am I am I correct in thinking that? Yes. Yes. And that's not obvious to your typical viewer. Um, and I wondered if you could say something about your decision to translate some spoken or sung uh, words, but not others. Um, there's some songs that are sung that are translated and others that aren't. Uh, mm -hmm. And there are some words that are spoken and translated and some not. So mm -hmm. talk about that, that kind of decision. Yeah. So <laughs> some of the, some of the, there is another song that I've gone back to, to translate, you know, um, and, but there were other things that I felt didn't need, um, you know, translation that, you know, just sonically and, and rhythmically, uh, were able to transmit um, something very special that um, you know that didn't need that translation and and the other one I felt like no I am missing the translation here and I need to put it on it was the post-production was just such a quick turnaround to 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 turn into to UCA I mean to to Sundance um, there were there was a, a translation that I was missing yeah mm. so you, you decided that later on you felt that it needed it. Oh, it's it. We we I, I we didn't have time, you know. We didn't have time, you know. There there the ones that I thought was essential were, were, are there. I feel like there is one instance in when in which I um I would like to translate. So a song uh, or a, a song or a, or a moment of a song, a song, a song, a song. The moments that are not translated, you know, when people are talking, um. I don't know that there was something about their bodies and the way that they were enunciating things that I felt that it didn't need to. Hmm. Well, of course it brings you into the, into the film in some way, of course, because you're not interpreting rather you're feeling your mm -hmm. way through the film 
I mean, there's a line in the film that seems to speak to uh, your discussions with your editors, which is, um, you know, a film, you know, he says, you know, after you you truly got the, that it's like a film in your mind. And once you go in, you'll never find your way out. Um, it seems in a way to kind of evoke the experience of both making and watching the film itself. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, I'm so happy that you, you, you caught on that. Definitely. I, I, it was really, you know, making this film and, and hearing the translations of what people um, said in their natural environment. And my friends were saying in their natural environment without necessarily being prompted or anything like that. It, it was such a, you know, um, it was such a healing experience for me because listening to those words, it, it was like, um, you know, always um, sort of an experience of feeling reflected, you know, um, always. And, and that was a relationship. I was having a relationship with the people that are in my film. I, I felt like I was having a relationship with the spaces, with the, with the images that were manifesting to me. Um, it was a relationship with the sounds. It was a relationship. It was a, like, a, a, like a love affair, you know, for me. Um, so yeah, it's, um, um, when they started talking about the film or, or the cinema, it was just almost beyond. It was almost like <laughs> literally commenting on the film that I'm making, you know what I mean? And that, you know, um, we were together. I, uh, Mommy, Muhammad and I were together in, in a farm. We were chilling with some farmers, friends of ours. And one of them, you know, cause, cause I was asking you, so what are you thinking? He's like, oh, I'm watching a movie. You know, I'm, I'm a farmer. I'm never gonna go anywhere from here, but right now I'm watching a movie and so and then <laughs> mommy said it, it's like I heard somewhere that when you're chewing you're watching a movie and it was so um uh that's why I was so happy to 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 film in that cinema inside that cinema because that's um that's the cinema of my childhood the the the, the movie theater that is just so run down but it's still there you know it's still intact and um it all spoke to uh, definitely about the practice of making um, a film itself. It, it, it was just like being in a place where every single thing was connected. Everything was connected. Everything was speaking to each other. It was a beautiful uh, thing, yeah, for me. Well, it seems like a beautiful way to, to finish our conversation. So thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us. Thank you for having me. 